Hello, and welcome to the Degree of Freedom podcast. My name is Jonathan Haber, and today we're going to be joined by Lindsay Murphy, Education Project Manager at the Sailor Foundation. Those of you who followed the Degree of Freedom project last year might remember Sailor as the developer of one of those non-MOOC classes I used to complete my philosophy major, specifically an advanced-level course in existentialist philosophy. Unlike a MOOC, which neatly packages most, if not all, the material one needs to complete a course into a single online package, Sailor courses are curated, meaning they are pulled together using open source material, including public domain and open source content drawn from the web. And this material is organized in such a way to provide students topical coverage that adds up to a college course experience. Like all the free learning modalities they tried out last year, Sailor's curated course had its pluses and minuses. But the range of voices it included and the extra effort required to link material that was not spoon-fed to me through a single MOOC LMS actually made Sailor's existentialism one of the most memorable learning experiences I enjoyed during the course of my one-year BA. And to give you a sense of what Sailor courses and the Sailor Foundation are all about, let's hear from someone on the inside. Lindsay Murphy, welcome to Degree of Freedom. Hi, thanks. So happy to be here. So uh, before we start talking about the Sailor Foundation, can you tell listeners a little bit about your background? So my background is in community college education. I teach developmental and first-year writing at a Virginia Community College. I've been doing that for a few years now, and the opportunity at the Sailor Foundation helps me expand my reach. So beyond the 25 students I may have in, any, in a classroom at any one time, there are thousands more that we can reach through our online mission. Community colleges are a great asset to this country, but there's only so many. There are only so many seats in those so many, and there are just so many barriers to access that we can combat through the online platform. So tell us about how Sailor came about and what it offers in the area of free learning. Okay, sure. So Sailor has been focused on the Free College Initiative since about 2008. And so we have worked with a network of several hundred credentialed faculty throughout the country to develop over 300 higher ed professional development and K-12 courses. They're all online. They're all completely free. And we think that we can really make an impact to the traditional higher ed system by providing this sort of education and access. And just to make it clear, Sailor is not offering MOOCs or other fully online courses, but is rather curating courses using content drawn largely from the open web. Can you describe what a Sailor course consists of and what the experience of taking one's like? Sure. So like you said, we curate our course materials out of content, that largely open education resource content that's available online. So we sequence our courses to follow established learning sequences in traditional college level courses. We frame it, we provide the, the sort of learning scaffolding. We've broken everything into units and those units are framed around a course narrative that helps walk learners through the materials and sort of pieces them together. So instead of being presented just with a variety of resources from the web, you're presented with a variety of resources that are contextualized into a traditional college sequence of learning. And how are your curated courses put together? I know they're designed by experts in the field, but how is their expertise incorporated into a course that they develop? So the primary way that our course developers' expertise is used is really in just identifying the skills and the outcomes that need to be met by a particular course. So that's the first step. Once we've identified those skills, say, you know, English 101 has to cover these specific skills, then our credentialed faculty will vet the content. So they'll go through, as I'm sure 
you and your listeners know, there's a ton of stuff online and it's not all up to the caliber that we need it to be. So they will vet the content and help sequence it so that the topics make sense one to another and that the learning is layered as it needs to be. Additionally, our faculty members bring their expertise to bear on innovative ways to teach online. So a lot of our faculty teach primarily in classroom. So they really push the envelope on how would you present this absent an instructor, absent face-to-face interaction. What sort of online things can we do that would not even necessarily recreate the classroom experience, but recreate the learning that happens there. And are your courses primarily developed by individual scholars or you take a team approach to course development? So it's sort of a hybrid between the two. Courses are initially developed by a single scholar, but then for the courses published to our site, it's reviewed by another scholar in the field. Then we publish it and then it goes through a rigorous peer review process to bring additional sets of eyes. And the resulting sailor peer reviewed course has usually been looked at by anywhere between five and six faculty members, as well as instructional designers and sailor staff. So it ends up being a single main author with with input from other faculty. Now, I took one of your philosophy courses, Phil 304 on existentialism, as a matter of fact, and I enjoyed the experience a great deal, but I got the sense that there were not a lot of other people who gravitated towards that course. What kind of numbers are you attracting for in traditional 101 courses in subjects like math and English versus more specialized topics? Sure. So we do see a pretty big difference between the 101s and the upper level, the three and 400 level of more specialized courses. By and large, our most popular course is our computer science 101 course, and we have about 6,000 people enrolled in that course. Whereas philosophy 101, which is still a 101 level, still 100 um, introductory level, we have about 1,000 students enrolled in that course. So then for some of the much more specialized upper level courses, for example, the philosophy 300 level course that you took, we have a few hundred students enrolled in that at any one time. So we do see pretty big variations, both in terms of subject matter, but then also just in terms of expert level. And are any courses running that have so many people taking the same course simultaneously that community formation is a component of the class? There's two courses that I'll mention. One is our Art History 101 course, and that follows the traditional sailor model. That course generates a lot of interest, and so there's a pretty active discussion forum on that course. I'll additionally mention our Space Systems Engineering course, which we have put together through NASA. That's our first real experiment with a MOOC. So it's the, the course itself we've sequenced over a few weeks. There are set Google Hangouts. So we're building a community in a different way than we've done before with that course. And that course is on a fixed schedule? It is. And you mentioned it's your first MOOC. Does that mean uh, video lectures and some of the other components people think about a MOOC are part of it? It does mean that. And the collaboration with NASA has allowed us a really great pool of experts who also garner some celebrity status that we see with some of the MOOCs. Have to check out it next time on your site. And, and speaking of your site, I did notice that you had a number of what you call credit align courses. Is there actually a way to obtain college credit for completing a sailor class? There is. So we've been exploring a few routes for several years. The bread and butter of our credit opportunities are challenge exams. We have a couple of variations of this. So challenge exams, they're usually offered by colleges throughout the country. 
and a student can go petition to take the challenge exam and demonstrate that they've achieved the knowledge, the level of mastery they would have by taking that course, just by taking the exam, get credit that way. So we have matched some of our courses to existing challenge exams, primarily through Thomas Edison State College and Excelsior College. Additionally, we have put a number of our courses, nine, I believe, through review from the National College Credit Recommendation Service. And they reviewed our courses, the learning objects, the learning outcomes, and our exams and assessments, and have provided credit recommendations. So a student who takes one of those aligned courses, one of those aligned sailor courses, and then takes sailor NCCRS exam, can earn anywhere between three and four credits for nine different courses. Those are our primary mechanisms for granting credit. So credit by exams is largely used. Speaking of exams or assessment, thinking back to my existentialism course, as compelling as I found the material, I did feel that the course asked me mostly to consume content, the exception being some assessments that came at the end and then a multiple choice final exam that all seemed a little on the light side. Do other courses tend to place more demands on students in terms of putting their learning to work? Or are you looking at ways of incorporating more rigorous tests or even writing assignments into your programs? Yes to both. Some of our other courses do have more extensive writing assignments or discussion board questions, additional ways beyond multiple choice questions that we ask students to put their learning into practice. But we've been doing some internal reviews and have have made the decision that we, we really need to step up the assessment and activity portion of, of our courses. So you can expect more along those lines from us in the future. We're looking at ways to expand our innovative assessments so that we can still work within our asynchronous, self-guided pace, but encourage students to really put their learning to the test and see how to implement some of the things that they're learning in the courses. Speaking of the future, I'm curious where Sailor is going next. Are you going to focus on more courses and more disciplines or increasing the depth of some of your existing courses or following your NASA project into MOOC land? Where do you think Sailor is planning to go? So we spent the first several years of our existence really working on creating courses. Now we have this amazing suite of over 300 courses. So our next step is really distribution. How can we make targeted enhancements to our courses to really serve a targeted audience of learners? How can we really use those enhancements to drive distribution? Because while it's really great that we have the community of learners that we have now, we can certainly do more. We can certainly reach more people. And so I think that's where you can really expect to see more from us in the future. Okay, great. Well, it was wonderful having you on the show. I appreciate all the insight as to where Sailor is going. Lindsay, thank you for joining us on Degree of Freedom. Thanks so much for having me. That was Lindsay Murphy, Educational Project Manager at the Sailor Foundation. Given that free learning beyond MOOCs was the topic of today's interview, it's worth noting that even before the advent of massive online courses, those truly motivated to learn something had no shortage of ways to do so. If you're lucky enough to be college-age, and even if you're not, you could take courses on a subject of interest through a residential or online college, or perhaps through an extension school or other formal or informal adult education program in your community. And for those who don't feel like paying for education or having to study based on someone else's timetable, eager and resourceful learners can always turn to recorded lectures from iTunes University, Great Courses or Modern Scholar, to obtain at least a lecture portion of high-quality courses taught by an experienced instructor. Many of these are free, either via the web or a local library. And there's nothing stopping motivated students from supplementing these lectures with syllabi, reading lists, and assignments to more closely replicate the experience of a complete course. 
And for those who don't need the structure of a class to learn something, you've got podcasts to choose from, documentaries on education-related TV and YouTube channels to watch, learning communities to join, and, dare I even mention it, books you can read for the purposes of self-education. Back in ancient times, which ended around the time I got married, book learning was the primary method for self-propelled education, and people who pursued such learning options were termed autodidacts, with names like Leonardo da Vinci and Thomas Edison frequently dropped to demonstrate how greatness can be achieved through self-created versus formal education. Autodidacticism tends to trigger images of the outcast, who is really a self-taught genius. Think Matt Damon and Goodwill Hunting. But if you think about the narrow range of classical and religious subjects traditional education limited itself to until very recently, learning about new topics such as science and engineering can only be accomplished outside the framework of traditional centers of learning. Today, autodidacticism has escaped boundaries of class and subject area to almost become a leisure activity, but again, only for the self-motivated learner. I'm thinking now about the British guy I met last summer whose shells groaned under the weight of all the books he's read on Winston Churchill, or friends of the historic reenactor I used to date who spent vacations performing research in National Archives on Revolutionary War uniforms. Or how about my friend's father, a first-generation immigrant, whose stupendous knowledge of natural science was achieved solely by spending his retirement watching the Nature and Discovery channels. Given this wide range of options available under the category of free learning, it's worth asking if people succeeding in MOOC classes are the same autodidacts who would have found another alternative to learn the same subjects if the MOOC phenomena had never occurred. In other words, are MOOCs truly opening up educational opportunities to people who never had them before, or are they just providing one more option to an audience of autodidacts already glutted with choices? But stepping back even further, it's also worth asking if autodidacticism itself, defined here as the motivation and ability to learn independently, is something people are born with or is itself a subject to be taught and learned. Personally, I've never seen anything to demonstrate self-motivated learning to be a genetic trait. But if it's an acquired versus an innate ability, then it's in everyone's interest to discover how someone ends up with a skill set. If it turns out that one either is or is not an autodidact by the time your age hits double digits, then early grade teaching and even parenting techniques designed to create self-propelled learners might be worth developing. And if research demonstrates that autodidacticism is something one can learn any time in life, then maybe there can be a MOOC for that, or some other educational tool designed specifically to teach students how to take full advantage of the free educational bounty growing all around them. Perhaps this is a field already being rigorously researched, maybe by some of you listening to this show. And speaking of this show, it's time for it to end. But I hope you can join us again on the next Degree of Freedom podcast. Yeah.